0: Okay, the S&P, the stops. This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that well is enjoying just a little bit more certainty this week. I'm Scott Phillips and with me as always the doctor is in the house though today a little more remote. Dr. Anirban Mahati. How are you, Doc? I am very good. I'm very remote. I'm remote good. Well, not not so remote, actually. You're not miles away from me, but we had an audio snafu. One of my microphone cables just stopped working, so we didn't have a choice of recording locally, Uh, so we're going back to, well, almost back to lockdown times. Maybe it's appropriate, given the, the hassles and the struggles that South Australia is going through right now, but we are remote. We hope the audio holds up. We're pretty sure it will, but if we do have any glitches, our apologies, and we do blame the microphone cables, and by the way, the pandemic that meant that the cable I ordered on Monday isn't here yet. So there you go. After all that, how's that for a tangent? Well, at least we at least we explained ourselves, Doc. That's I if if we have glitches, I wanted our listeners to know what was going on.
1: I think it's a great tangent. Fantastic. Right.
0: <laughs> Maybe we get a big, big week this week. We've had a lot going on. I was you know what I started to write the agenda for today, the, the little kind of the run sheet. And I started with kind of you know, not much going on a little more macro certainty was the first words I typed. And then we chatted and I added and added and added and it was. It's kind of been a big week, despite the fact that things seem to be calming down. We're going to talk about the macro, of course, uh, elections, vaccines, shutdowns, all sorts of stuff. We're going to talk about the RBA, and I don't know, Doc, you will very rarely have a view on the RBA, but I'll, I'll try and tease one out of you. I'll try and get you off the fence. Uh, we'll talk about property prices. We'll talk about the trade war with China. We'll talk about the casino that, frankly, may not be a casino for much longer. And because, well yeah see the thing is listeners this is in doc's contract i have to talk about apple every now and again so uh so we are going to talk about apple but in in all seriousness um this one's one i was actually really happy to chat about not that i'm not normally um but some really big and interesting news in consumer tech and i think that's useful for understanding how the um uh, how how the business world is going to change how the consumer tech world is going to change some really big changes there and of course doc it wouldn't be a motley full podcast without dipping into the full mailbag should we get on with it let's do it let's do it motley fool money for more go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M now mates this week as I said I started the, I started the little run sheet with a little more macro certainty and then I put maybe with a question mark at the end so let's let's kind of let's kind of t- touch on some of this stuff I guess we hopefully can put the U.S. election to some degree behind us. Um, now I will date stamp this again because things change quickly. We are recording this on Thursday, the nineteenth of November. Uh, the it seems that despite some thrashing around, the U.S. election is pretty much done and dusted. Uh, the Senate's still having probably a runoff in Georgia, and frankly, there are still court cases going on. So there's no you know there's no certainty yet, <laughs> but we think we're kind of on the back of that and. Frankly, we now have a second vaccine, I think since last time we recorded. uh, Pfizer was the first one out saying 90%. Moderna said 94%, which is the new one. Pfizer out overnight again saying, no, it's actually 95%. So this is kind of giving us some reason to hope. I guess if one is good, two is brilliant, right? Because it's always nice to have a fallback. If you can find two different ways to solve a particular problem, if one of them does happen to fall at the last hurdle, that's probably a good thing. Um, and I think you mentioned to us in the in our Slack chat, team Slack chat this morning, that the US FDA, the Food and Drug Administration, has put some time aside to consider this in what a couple of weeks' time. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, so in the eighth, ninth, and tenth has been put aside okay. um, for for I think considering. Uh, I think the approval is is almost imminent. It doesn't like doesn't it? Yeah, so it's the approval is imminent. It's great that there are two drugs with mm. roughly similar efficacies. So and well, the, the key thing is they're both working on very similar principles, which is mm-hmm. fantastic.
0: Mate, you're you're a scientist by trade. Um, do you have any concerns? So, I, I guess I, you know, I, I'm always a bit of a cynic, bit of a skeptic. Both these companies decided to release this stuff via press release rather than via peer reviewed uh, research or via the regulators themselves. There was a bit of a kind of a, you know, and I don't, am I surprised? Probably not, because if you Pfizer or Moderna, you want to be able to say, "Hey, look at me, look at me, look how good I am." Um, although as you mentioned it wasn't actually Pfizer's deal it was uh, some some chemist in like Germany you said uh, last week but you know are you at all concerned that this is a little bit too premature are you comfortable that again we're not making promises and we're not going to roll it out until the FDA does have a look at it but I don't know I, I kind of feel like yes it's a big deal it's the biggest deal in health in you know decades if not a century yet I uh, I would like a little bit more circumspection for them to go via the traditional channels first. And at least say, look, we think we've got something. Well, it's too early. We'll just, just so you know, we're going to submit some stuff for peer review. We're going to submit some stuff to the FDA. We're hopeful of a positive outcome. That would have been the more circumspect way to do it. They've kind of gone out all guns blazing, headlines and, and press releases and tweets. Does that give you any pause, or is that just the world we live in?
1: Yes, okay, so I'm going to do a little tangent So I'm a huge uh, believer in uh, peer review process. Like you yeah. know, I think that the peer review process is very important. Mm-hmm. However, you know, the pandemic has seen actually some, uh, some fantastic yeah. deviation from that process. So a lot of research that has been published in top tier, like absolutely top tier places. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I wouldn't take names because I don't want anybody to come after me. But top tier places. <laughs> Good point top tier places which you would find very difficult to get in because it's highly peer reviewed they've published research ongoing research without mm-hmm. much peer review um, mm-hmm. uh, about coronavirus and what it means and, oh, and, okay. and you know okay. so I, I think the entire peer review process has you know Gone uh, downhill uh, yeah. in during this pandemic. So that's number one. Not, to, not, something not the process
0: itself has gone downhill, but people are are going around the process because of the immediacy of the stuff. Like the, the, the process obviously is solid, but no one's using it. Is that what you're saying, or you're saying it?
1: No, someone, I, no. What I'm saying is that there is a there is a sense of urgency that if I don't publish it, somebody else is going to publish it, and therefore I yeah, should okay. publish it. Okay. And then if my if my journal is X rated with X impact factor, then I publish it, and then. You know, this is what I call the the misinformation campaign. I'm not talking about misinformation as implied by politicians, but I think (laughs) there is a huge amount of misinformation because stuff gets published at good places, which people tend to believe, except that they're not peer-reviewed. Now, I'm not saying that (laughs) all the stuff that's been published (laughs) is is garbage, but there's a lot of garbage out there. Um, So that's number one. Number two is with with these trials, they will eventually get published. Here's the thing. I think the size of the trials should give people some comfort right so the Pfizer trial has 40,000 or something like that people that's with 20,000 20,000 cool. in, 20, in placebo 20,000 uh, getting the drugs um, side effects are minimal the thing that's not known is whether or not these things give you longer lasting immunity or do you need you know multiple doses and things like that right 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 those are the, those are the questions that you don't have answers for what you have answers for is there is some immunity granted in for the period of analysis mm-hmm. i think that's better than having Absolutely. no immunity <laughs>
0: yeah. we'll, take that. we'll take that every day <laughs> twice on sundays yeah. That, solution yeah. On. yeah so
1: i, I think i i think that is uh, i think that's the win <laughs> right and then we'll know yeah, totally. what happens over the longer term um mm-hmm. right like, like yeah. there is no immunity against the flu for example right these type of viruses you just don't get immunity you need to mm-hmm. modify for strains and things like that you just have to accept that this thing it's just not going away it's going to stay in some form or the other and you just have to adapt and hope these these viruses uh, these vaccines are able mm-hmm. to adapt like they do for for the flu right i mean so again not to say that this is the same as flu but i think it's the same category and and therefore because it's the same category i think you'd expect similar mechanics uh in terms of um you know how it works so yeah, no i'm not right. i'm not concerned that okay, you know good. they won't be Makes me happy yeah they, you know like if i if I, you know, I would say that, you know, there's a priority list of people who are going to get it, or mm. who should get it, right? Absolutely. So, you know, the frontline people, uh, healthcare people, people with uh, underlying conditions, mm-hmm. and then general population. Yep. So, it, yeah, so I mean, there's, yeah, and then I wouldn't expect everyone's going to have it, like, just like everyone doesn't take the flu vaccine. But mm. as long as the vulnerable people are protected uh, from the vaccine, vaccination, well, that does the job, right? Mm-hmm. Um, effectively. So,
0: very cool. Thank you, mate. Good to hear a scientist's perspective. I appreciate that. So those, those are the big bits of US macro news. And I suppose we can say that some degree, certainly in the US, some degree, certainly on vaccines, kind of takes a bit of uh, I was gonna say risk out of the market. That's a very short-term kind of, you know, market tradery kind of way to say it. But I guess what I'm saying is th- the market has just jumped phenomenally over the last, what we're calling this on the 19th, so the last 19 days. November has been a sensational you know, month so far for investors and a you know, long way to go because things can always change. But it does seem like the markets are pricing a lot more positivity, less risk, more certainty. Whatever whatever phrase you want to use, shares are still up a lot. I mean, the, the growth in November, I haven't got the absolute up-to-date numbers, but at one point was close enough to a, an average year's gain in, in the first kind of couple of weeks. I think we might have been talking about this last week. Um, it does seem like things are starting to go away. And then we've got the RBA. So let, let's go to that one because if we bring it back here to home, uh, Governor Lowe saying during the week, a big speech to CEDA, the Committee for Economic Development of Australia, saying that Australians and businesses in all particularly need to take more risk. And I think, you know, the, the context of this was, look, we think the recovery is looking pretty good. We think we've got a decent chance of actually coming out of the recovery really well and reasonably quickly but it does require some action. and This almost feels like Lowe saying, look guys, I threw the kitchen sink at this thing. You guys have got to do something to help me out here because I've got you know very little left. I mean, he, has, he hasn't He has said that at all. He said the reverse, which is we do it if we want. But effectively, monetary policy gets really, really weird very quickly if he has to keep pushing the string. He needs someone to do something else and we could say maybe it should be government, maybe it should be business. But you know, either way, I think this is to, uh, I took it positively, but almost there was that kind of asterisk on the speech of like, and if you don't, you know, we will be the masters of our own is Too strong a word, but we're the masters of our own, uh, you know, domain. Either way, right? If we if we do things that grow the economy, the economy will grow. If we don't come to the party and and meet low halfway there, then they can't do anything to make people actually do stuff. Short of taking over businesses to actually create the growth that he's looking for, that that seems logical to me. It also seems a little bit kind of. Um, Plaintive, <laughs> because you know at some point you know the 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 the, the, the policies themselves should give businesses the intention, or otherwise to do so. There's only so much more I think Lowe can do.
1: Yeah, like so we've talked about this before, right? You know what you could achieve. So uh, okay. So fundamentally what he's saying, take more risks, create more businesses mm-hmm. right That's not really happening. What's really happening yeah. is uh, there's more consumer debt, uh, debt driven consumption driven. So what I don't like, and I've said this many times, is I do not like this fascination right now. Like so all economists love to talk about GDP growth. Oh our economy is doing well because our GDP is growing. Great. Any GDP can grow because the bor- government can bro- borrow money, print some money, <laughs> get people to buy jeans and stockings and stuff will look awesome. Except that somebody has to pay for the jeans and stockings down the road, At some point, right. right. Be, be, at some point, because none of the jeans or the stockings is, is being made here. So my question really is, what are you making out of those dollars, right? Yeah, right. Other than taking on more consumer debt, uh, more housing debt, Mm-hmm. So I think there's a there's a there's a huge I think, uh, you know, there's I think a lack of foresight, which and the foresight really is about I just need the economy to grow. If I can get four percent growth, three percent growth, it's awesome. How I got that growth, nobody really cares for, mm-hmm. or nobody's really thinking about it, right? And yeah, so I I think that is therein lies the problem. I think the problem mm-hmm. is that you can't get growth the uh, I can almost write it in a paper <laughs> and mm-hmm. guarantee it with stamp paper that you can't get growth by these policies because these mm-hmm. policies do not drive. These are not policies that drive growth. These are policies that drive consumption. Mm-hmm. You can then create a lot of debt to create consumption, right? You know, my house price becomes two million. I can go borrow from the bank one point five million. I can go spend <laughs> it uh, on jeans and uh, a um, you know Hilux um, because I can, and that is interim. Yes, growth, but it is not creating anything. So, um, you know, it's it's consumption-driven growth. So I, I think that is the is the fallacy and and the mm-hmm. and the problem. And it's what I call kicking the can down the road. Um, somebody's going to pay somewhere down the lane, right? Because where is the business investment happening? Um, is the question. So Lo is asking the right question, but he's also the person who has created the um, this uh, mirage that the economy is all fine and dandy mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the mirage is driven by um, consumer spending which is all debt driven or free money right and you know we all know that there's no such thing as free money
0: <laughs> well there's there is for a while right but someone's going to pay the piper <laughs> so
1: somebody's going to pay and you know as i said it's 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 the kicking the uh, kicking the can down the yeah. road it's um yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it's like, yeah, it's equivalent of well, you know, the uh, climate change is not my problem because hey, who cares right, what's right, going to happen right. in three years? I'm not going to be here in two hundred years, right? It's probably so the it, electricity it,
0: price today rather than rather than the climate change down the road, right? Exactly.
1: It, it, it's that sort of. Yeah. It's, so I yeah. think that is the, that therein is the problem, and I think yeah. it's a systemic problem. Um, so that's my take.
0: Very nice, thank you, sir. I uh, look, I I think. I'm a little less, I'm a little stronger than you on this one, in the sense that I think there's, I think the answer is probably both. I think there's a short term issue, as you say. I think probably there's both, right? The the climate change issue needs to be resolved, and energy prices need to be resolved. And you can do a version of both, or either, or or, you know, don't necessarily opposites or binary choices, right? So I think there's some element of growth in consumption helps jobs in the short term, it helps economic activity in the short term, it does get the economy back on its feet. But as you say, it's not a, it's not a permanent solution. I don't know there's much else in your policy uh, toolkit that you're suggesting, I think, which is the right thing for the long term, that could fix the economy in the next two, two or three years, right? Given the lack of kind of, you know, I hate to a politician's term, shovel-ready projects. The idea that, you know, you can put a policy in place that in five or 10 years might bear a lot of fruit, uh, but you still got to feed some people today. And there's probably, I think, there's a bit of both to play. So I don't disagree with you at all. Uh, but I do think to some degree, if we don't, if GDP doesn't grow, and businesses don't have more demand because GDP is a a function of or is a a result of demand for goods and services right if we don't have those then businesses don't employ and it kind of is one of those things where unemployment going to 15% for the next five years while we get to your policy goal I think would be untenable so I think it's probably I would say a bit of both just to get us you know or or it's almost that I mean this is what stimulus is right it's that life raft to get us from one, one place to the other when we get to that sort of promised land that we should also be working on at the same time
1: Oh, I don't, I don't disagree. Like, what I what I think I disagree with is stimulus driven directly, uh, I guess, long term stimulus driven directly to consumers pocket Mm -hmm. is worse than long term, you know, stimulus driven to businesses for growth. If the stimulus was, I'm giving you money for growth. Mm. That's different from I'm giving you money for jeans. Right now. Right now, the money is I'm giving you money for jeans, which you're to, yep. with somebody else is going to make, somebody else, you know, somebody else is going to sell, and then you're just going to wear it and forget yeah. about it, yeah. right? I think that's the problem. Um, so, yeah, so I don't have a fix for it, but but I, <laughs> I can see that this is basically just kicking the can down the road uh, type of solution, um, which is what has been happening for, you know with with uh, the RBS. Like, what is it that you can't achieve at 1% that you're going to achieve totally. at zero? Yep. And what is it that you're going to achieve at 2%? Yes, I <laughs> yeah, understand.
0: That's ex- right. ex- yeah.
1: Except for how, you know, like property price yeah. inflation, which exactly yeah. does this laddering of debt, right? Everybody's in debt because, well, you can mm-hmm. have that debt. Mm-hmm. You're going to spend that money and the money is going to disappear. Mm.
0: Yep, absolutely. And, and I should say, by the way, you're probably kicking the can down the road. I think, you know, we're at zero-ish now because we were low coming into this because we never really fixed the gfc problem i think there is you know there's there's a there's a tv chef Here's one i prepared earlier problem which is we wasted the 10 years after the gfc not getting the economy ready for this point and so to some degree as you say the lack of taking that long-term action then means we still haven't taken it now. We still may not take it, but but then rates are even lower, and I don't know where we necessarily go from here with the next crisis. So we, we, there has to be a circuit breaker. Or bad, maybe I was going to say bad puns. Interesting, we're about to talk about South Australia. But there has to be a, a circuit breaker somewhere to say, hey, what, is, what does normal look like and how do we get back there so we have the ability and the ammunition to do different things rather than, you know, we've gone from, as you say, 7% to what, what 3 or 4% percent pre COVID now we zero maybe it was low than that we're now at zero what do we go minus two next time in mean, this next next crisis if we start from zero there's a lot of places to go from there
1: yeah I, and, and, I, and I think the, the thing to realize here is uh, you know in theory what you're trying to do is push the dollar down mm. um, but if you don't produce anything other than stuff that you're digging from the ground mm. uh, then effectively you're still at the mercy of the world right mm-hmm. and uh, I don't know. Like, I mean, I think you do. If you, I think what you need to do is produce more value-added goods where you have pricing power, mm. and if you have pricing power, in fact, I think the problem is the need the value-added goods that we are importing are going to cost more. Right. So uh, again, I'm not really sure about the strategy. Long-term, it's, it's it seems like a poor strategy to employ. But also, as you said, like you know, it's basically ten years of uh, mining boom that has been wasted. Right. 10, ten years of mining boom. You know that. Oh
0: man, you know, that was yeah.
1: Yeah. So so That's if you've got ten years policy
0: of failures, I think of of, yeah, of the last... 20 years, 30 years.
1: Yeah. So if you've got like, you know, the 10 years of mining boom, you've got this huge amount of surplus Mm. capital that Mm. you could deploy in many different ways. Um, You know, it hasn't been deployed, right? So I think that's, I think, yeah. So it's, I don't know what the solution is, but again, Cutting rates to
0: minus two doesn't look like the solution. <laughs> you wouldn't think so, would you? <laughs> Mate, um, so, so let's move on from from that, although we will talk about property price in a minute. Um, the South Australia shutdown, of course, just taking effect last night. Again, we're doing this on, on a Thursday morning. Um, hopefully only for six days. Hopefully this gets COVID under control in South Australia. But also, again, on the, on the kind of downside of, of the certainty we just talked about or the, the positive we just talked about, although we kind of got negative pretty quickly from the positives, um, wages are stagnating. I think that's the, the bit that concerns me, I suppose, overall, is the question of, you know, we, we can't buy more, spend more, invest more until we start earning more. And there's a bit of a – this is a kind of the double-edged sword, right? It's a bit of a horse and cart, chicken and egg, choose your metaphor. But if wages aren't growing, people aren't going to be spending more. If people aren't spending more, wages aren't growing – and as you, as you rightly point out, this, maybe this is just a, a sub-point of the last one, but stimulus in all of its guises, fiscal and monetary, doesn't yet seem to be working. Now, if, I'm, if I'm an optimist, I'm going to say, well, that wages growth, it was a 0.1%, I think, from memory, for the September quarter. Um, you know, so that, that's, that's about as stagnating as it gets without going to exactly zero. Um, I mean, maybe that's because, look, September quarter, that was the, the depths of COVID. Maybe that's the worst it gets and things start to get better. Um, but I do I do worry a little bit to, to almost kind of, Maybe it's your point. Maybe it's not. But a different version of what you were saying, which is, the, the the flywheel of the economy, despite the desperate efforts of everybody, does
1: still seem a little bit stuck. Yeah. Like again, I I don't know what what. Yeah. I. I yeah. I I really don't know what why we should expect the wages to go up. Right. So. Mm. Um, I mean, other than by inflation, right? Because if the inflation is there, then you'd expect, well, the wages will go up. But there is no inflation, really. So the wages are not really going up. Well, except that
0: the problem is that inflation has actually been positive. So a 0.1% rise in wages actually meant a real cut in wages. Inflation was apparently 1.5-ish percent for that period. So when wages only got 0.1%, one, 0.1, effectively our real wage went backwards. So it's even worse than that, as you say.
1: Yeah, yeah. So maybe maybe wages should go up by like one or two percent because inflation is around one or two percent. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, again, wages go up if you have more value add that you're creating mm-hmm. because then that value add can charge more, right? Mm-hmm. But if if you're not adding value. Uh, Right. I, I think this is where my, my issue is. So if, it, if there's yeah. value-add is less, then you can't really charge more for that work. <laughs> uh, right. So, so right. uh, I mean, on, on average, I think that that's where, mm. where the problem mm. is. And again, this is not something that the RBA can fix. Because it's... I it's, think that's, that's what I... Yeah. yeah. Well, what the, what the RBA could do is could be uh, a little stubborn and say, well, you know what? This is not my problem because I can't fix it. So I'm not yeah. going to even give you room to breathe you go and fix it. The people who are responsible for fixing it. So I think that's right. But it makes yeah. stand off, right?
0: I'm not going to do anything. You better do something. I mean, you know, we, or, we've, seen, we've seen that in the in the US, that doesn't always work because the, the politicians get, get involved pretty quickly and tell the central banks what they should do, or at least uh, question their their positions or or maybe uh, chance of, of getting another contract. But as you say, it, it does seem like all the blame, all the responsibility, is being at home to the RBA that probably shouldn't be.
1: Yeah, because it's not their job
0: you know yeah especially from higher wages mate, I think that's for me the wages problem is a, a higher value in one sense absolutely I agree the other thing I think the other, the other part of maybe the other side of the same coin is just pure productivity right so if you think about you know the, the value created per hour worked which effectively is what productivity is, right? If you can if you can produce more output for every hour of input, then productivity goes up. We're getting more for the same. Um, that's the definition. Productivity. It, it does. It does strike me that whether it's whether it's high value goods abs arbitrarily. So uh, you know, uh, I don't know, uh, <laughs> a fifty thousand dollar car rather than ten thousand dollars worth of iron ore that goes to make steel, it goes to make the car. For example, is one. Uh, but even just generally, the idea of how do we get more output for the hours worked. I mean, that's how we get more prosperity overall, right? Is that that very simple idea. And whether that's higher value products, value-added products, whether that's better ways of working or maybe even just generally, you know, finding new industries where, and, you know, you've said before, I think on this podcast, certainly separately, that, you know, Australian wages are high relative to the rest of the world. And so it's kind of incumbent on us to say, well, if we're going to have high wages, if that is going to be where we are, we have to find a way to create stuff on an hourly basis that's simply worth more you know you can if you're employing someone five dollars now you can make something that's, that sells for 10 if you're employing someone for 20 dollars now well make something that sells for 10 or 15 or 20 dollars doesn't really get you any anything from it you've got to be able to produce something and whether that's again a national policy trade policy industry policy that says we need to you know actually move up the value chain in some degree or other so, so that the, the the output per hour of australian worker worked is actually much higher than it otherwise might be
1: yeah, I think that that's fair. Like, I mean, you know, I, I I think the risk really is that if you have a high value, if you're paying more for your wages, and there's no mm-hmm. there's no fundamental issue with paying more for something, uh, but the issue really is about uh, whether or not you're getting that value out of it, right? So yeah, exactly, yep. you, you know, a simple example might be suppose you, you know you hire someone to do transcription, and mm-hmm. you end up paying them thirty dollars an hour for doing mm-hmm. transcription, and they produce five transcripts for you in that period of time. If the machine can do it for me, um, Mm. you know, for $30 a month, Mm. (laughs) the same quality transcription, right, right, that worker no longer has the job, right? I think that is where the problem is. So the problem is that you need workers to, it's a twofold problem, you need workers to move up the value chain, Mm -hmm. right? And you need to be able to produce those things here so that you can employ those people to actually be producing that software that does that. Right. so I, I think it, it, so I think it's it's just I think the lack of focus I call it lack of focus on technology and mm-hmm. un, and a lack of understanding of how technology can so I, a, a great example would be uh, Australia is blessed with a lot of sunshine mm-hmm. a lot of mining lot of uh, you know uh, a lot of opportunity to actually harvest uh, natural resources right mm-hmm. we should be leading in um, in say clean energy but we right. don't right right but as an opportunity that we're just letting it slide right so we shouldn't mm-hmm. let opportunity slide which you know which we are naturally well placed to take advantage of it doesn't mm-hmm. it doesn't necessarily mean that we have to close coal mining for that it just means that we have to create the right environment mm-hmm. for supporting that other industry, which is eventually going to take over from coal mining, right? And mm-hmm. I think we need to also realize that coal mining is going to become eventually, or over time, mm-hmm. irrelevant or mm-hmm. less relevant than it is today. I think
0: that's right. important too, Max. I think the, the, what's important here is, I mean, you and I both are believers in the climate science, but but more than that, it, it, that your argument is purely an economic one. Even if you are, even if you are a massive climate denier, the, the simple reality of the way the world is moving. And the economics of the, the industries you just talked about means that, for a dozen reasons, there will be more demand for renewable energy, but there will be less demand for coal. Renewables probably yeah. going to be a higher output per hour worked to create, because frankly, once you put the and I'll use a simple one, once you put the panels up there, there for you know literally decades, um, you know. So the 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 simple reality is that moving moving across from one business like there's no point supporting the buggy whip industry when the cars are being made right there's there's some point at which you say I love buggy whips I wish they were around They're, they're great they're romantic they're awesome I love the horses but the future is over here. And so no matter what you think about whether it should happen or not, the reality is the world is moving that way for reasons you can even disagree with and not you personally, Doc, but our listeners. Um, that's why, you know, there is, it's a bit like ethical investing that I've talked about before. It doesn't kind of matter what you think of it. If, if it's going to happen anyway, you can either be kick, drag, dragged kicking and screaming and not capitalize on it. You can you can sniff the wind and say, this is changing. Gee, if we can get at the forefront of this, if we can actually become you know, leaders in this, if we can make the investments now that are required to capitalize on this in the future, it's it's madness to stick your head in the sand and hope it doesn't change.
1: Yeah, like exactly, exactly. Like you know, I call it you know. In many ways, it's it's good to be like a mercenary when you're thinking about capitalist work, <laughs> right? So yep. uh, you know, it's my it's my favorite thing is to you know just think like a mercenary. Whether whether it's your portfolio, just be a mercenary. And right, and if right. you if you're thinking about managing business, like yeah you know honestly as i said put aside (laughs) i don't care it doesn't really matter whether i am a climate tree hugging whatever right right? if if chinese and indian um, governments are not going to be buying that coal to Mm -hmm. fire their coal plants well the demand is going to go down if they're going to be putting solar panels and doing whatever not batteries well Mm -hmm. then we are better off producing those things and selling it to them right Mm -hmm. so it's a it's a a pure economic i think you know sometimes just thinking from a pure economic point of view is um yeah, you know, you know, you you should you should be, you know, uh, I guess, uh, you know, trying to be where the, you know, going with the puck or being where the puck is going to be. Yeah, right, right. N- Not be behind it.
0: I, love, I, I like your mercenary approach. I will I will soften it slightly and share something that our our colleague Andrew Lego, who's been on the podcast before, says. He says, you know, invest uh, the way the world is not the way you wish it would be. And, that, and that's kind of yeah. important, right? I, I would I would probably add to that that you would say actually, and, and not, that, not that Andrew's wrong, but you would say invest how the world's going to be, not how the world is or how you wish it was. So there's that sense of yeah. like looking to the future and saying, you know what? It doesn't matter what I think or how I wish things would change. It Rationally, logically, with clear eyes, if I think the world is going to do this, even if I hate the idea that it's going to do it, it you know, <laughs> the personal feelings, you might as well make some money from it if nothing else, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like you know, there are there are lots of things I might not like, but hey, I say, mm-hmm. well, okay, well, that's what it is. Then <laughs> you know, I I have to find a best solution, and 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 for a yeah, exactly. you know, countries, countries like a system, right? And mm-hmm. and there is there is benefit to the entire population from, uh, trying to, uh, trying to optimize for mm-hmm. that future, mm-hmm. right? So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it doesn't matter what I think about coal. It just matters that, well, everybody else is doing that. So. Correct,
0: correct. Mate, let's move on. I won't spend too long this unless you want to. You may want to because you to like a property price rant. So I, I will always leave the opportunity open because I'm going to rant a little bit later. Um but I, I just thought I thought what I'd what I'd mention is just again, I know your thoughts on this, but again maybe maybe taking that mercenary perspective, right? So property prices have been stagnating or falling, and and different areas have been different. We know on Sydney's northern beaches, it seems prices have been rising. You've certainly been looking around southwest of Sydney, where prices seem to have been falling. Overall, CBA came out with a new forecast only yesterday, or the day before, saying they expect prices to rise five percent in the next twelve months, and I. I look at the other, I guess, well, I, I was going to make this about property and I'm going to make it about banks, but feel free to do either. We also have seen loan deferrals drop by 70% um, since the peak of, of COVID. If I'm a, and I know you're not a bank investor necessarily, but but let's be mercenary for a little bit. If I was someone who, who owned banks, was looking at them, does, does it, it, well, I'll, I'll make a statement, you can respond. It seems to me that most of the downside risks for the banks have gone away for the foreseeable future if prices do rise the way the CBA expects, and I think there's some evidence to say they are stagnating or flattening or maybe even rising in the sales data we're seeing, but even if they're not, and deferrals are down, it seems like the worst case scenarios have objectively been avoided. Do you agree? and, and, And does that make you less concerned about bank solvency. Even if, even if I can invest in them, neither you and I are going to invest in them because we don't think they're market beaters. So purely mercenary approach, we don't think they're market beaters. But does the has the downside risk kind of gone away for those who maybe hold them and are saying, well, look, I don't really want to sell them. I've got a big capital gain or, or, or for whatever reason, I, I I would I would speculate that the downside risk is much, much, much less than it was even two months ago. Do, do you agree or am, I, or am I missing the point? You
1: know, as I've said this before, right, you know, I... I waste exactly five seconds thinking about the banks, <laughs> uh, and I waste exactly three seconds thinking about other companies, which I think are basically like they are—they're living dead. Right. So, so, so the you know my theory is very simple, right? Why waste my energy thinking mm-hmm. about these ASX one hundred you know dinosaurs that exist? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I want to make twenty percent today. Do I really care? Like, I want to make fifteen percent, twenty percent compounded over ten years. Mm-hmm. I can almost certainly guarantee, well, as, as good as a guarantee is,
0: <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> the, the that. i have you started listening, Doc, so be careful what you're saying yeah, next.
1: <laughs> yeah. But I, I feel I know pretty good I know that the SX100 is not going to get me 20% compounded right. uh, over, you know, it just can't. And it, it right. wouldn't for any number of reasons. here. So I just don't, you know, waste my energy thinking about banks. And I would advise all those other people, uh, mm. advice I would suggest, politely that you know <laughs> if you put billions of dollars of super fund money into these, you know, dinosaurs that are gonna grow at like five percent, give you some franking dividends, like who cares? You shouldn't be care you shouldn't actually worry be worried about it. There are companies that are gonna ten bag in the meantime and you're worried about 20%. So that's what I think. Like, you know, hey, good, you want to buy the 20%? Go buy it, right? And, and then, you know, you can feel sad about it. Um, you know, when you're, when you're going to look at that other person's portfolio, oh, that, that, that thing tan bagged, I should have bought that, right? So, you know, it's just, yeah, I think it's just madness to, to be worried. Yeah, this is just like, you know, you get in at the right price, get out at the right price, get back in at the right price. It's too difficult. Huh. Buy great businesses early, Hold, hold, hold. Wait till they become almost dead and then maybe sell them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I'm going to agree with you there, but I am going to ask you again. Maybe you'll choose to not answer again, which is fine. Um, th- there are some of with banks, right? Now, we, we would say don't hold the banks. Now, I think we've made that. You certainly made that very clear in the last couple of minutes. <laughs> but but if, if they, you know, it, do you agree with my assertion that the risks for banks are lower now than they were? Or do you still think, again, I know you've only wasted three seconds thinking about it. So in those three seconds, um, is that something you think is, is likely to be, True or am I being too optimistic?
1: Well, I tweeted saying that the uh, um, toilet mania is on and uh, funded by uh, uh, <laughs> the tulip mania. Fun- okay, uh, yeah, yeah, funded and abated by the RBA, right? I mean, just thinking it won't badly when I don't know, right? Because you can't just yeah, right. inflate. You can't just inflate your way away. I mean, either the Australian dollar is going to collapse to like, you know, 40 cents to the USD or Mm -hmm. something's got to give at some point. Mm -hmm. Um, But I don't know. Like, I mean, (laughs) this just doesn't seem sustainable to me. So, uh, you know, I wish uh, all the best to everybody else who wants to own them. Uh, I don't touch them. Uh, They're almost like, you know, for me, that's like COVID. I don't want to get COVID in my portfolio. So, so I'm going to stick COVID. I think you've been clear. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I like my COVID-free portfolio that
0: way. So. <laughs> All right. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mates, um, speaking, of, speaking of things not working and being a bit sick, the ASX this week, uh, was it Monday? I think it was Monday. Um. We uh, Kevin, who works with us, joked about 10.30, the ASX went down for a couple of minutes, and he uh, goes, well, I guess we might as well close the market now and go to the pub. And for the record, we didn't go to the pub, although we all work remotely, so maybe some of us did. I don't know, but I certainly didn't. You certainly didn't. Um, the That being said, the ASX was closed for the whole day. And interestingly enough, I was a little bit surprised. They reckon they've done four dress rehearsals. They're using NASDAQ software. I, I, I would have thought this is a reasonably low likelihood scenario, given the work they had done, given the platform provider they chose to partner with. Um, I will, again, I'll, let, me, let me editorialize first and you can do it after me. Um, I think it's much to do about nothing. I think the, the reality of, you know, we, we, we are long-term investors. The fact you couldn't transact for five hours on a Monday, you know, is kind of like neither here nor there. It could have been a public holiday for all anyone cares and it wouldn't have been a big deal. If that was a, an impromptu Queen's birthday public holiday and the ASX wasn't open, the war doesn't end. But somehow we kind of like blaming people and things and complaining about the, the, the software, and you know, it's somehow some sort of international embarrassment. I think it's all a bit kind of overdone, right? If we just had a four day trading week every week, it wouldn't be a problem. Um, I get, yeah, it's embarrassing, of course, it is, and yes, you know, it's not ideal, but it gets into me a bit like a storm in a teacup. Do you have a different perspective?
1: Uh, no, lucky, you know, stuff like this can happen, so it's not a big deal. Like, I mean, you know, we are as 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 the, in the monthly full, for example, restricted from buying stocks. Uh, like, there have been stocks in in our internal database that have been, like, for example, locked for like say, a, you know, a month, right? Because yeah. for for compliance reasons. So yep. we are kind of used to not trading, <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. Uh, and and it's fine. Actually, not trading is, is okay. Uh, and, uh, you know, for high high volume, high frequency traders, it might be a problem. Um I'll just point out that what I read is uh, the problem was uh, was uh, the chess software, mm-hmm. <laughs> which has got nothing to do, which is I think an aging old software that these guys have got. Um, it's got nothing to do with the with the NasDAq trading platform, I think that was the culprit. Um, that's what I last read. Um, okay. So is it a big deal? maybe not Maybe it's a big deal. I don't know. like I mean um, what? Well, it. I think the only question I would raise is if you can't if for if you have to turn off trading for say a whole day. Mm. Um, it does. I mean, you could question whether or not. You know, are we prepared for say hacking attacks? Are we? Yeah. You know, if there's a denial of service attack or some sort of something like that, are we prepared for those sort of things? Those, are well, those so sort of New questions. The New Stock
0: Exchange was down for quite a few days on the back of exactly that not long ago, actually. So they yeah. certainly so, face that that, that challenge.
1: Yeah, but again, like I mean, you know, again, if we can just quarantine the attack and and close the market, and then sort of be sure that once the attack has been repulsed, we we're able to continue. Okay, it's not a big deal, but yeah, like I, I mean, you know, but was, uh, I would say there's not a big deal for us, but it's a big deal for some people who uh, who make who make who do you know make money on uh, on trades and trading in and out. Um, so for yeah.
0: the brokers, mate, who who absolutely make their make their money on activity. I have I have to. Say, I did tweet, speaking of tweets that you said. I did tweet at the time that um, never never has so much money been made or, or saved for so many day traders and and, uh, and hyper traders by the fact the market was closed. I'm actually pretty sure that while the brokers probably lost out on average, I reckon the investors are probably better off. If you, if you look at the sum total of, of the, the investor balance sheets on Monday compared to what they might have been on a normal trading day, I have a, I have a suspicion that maybe people are actually better off because the market was closed, but that could be just me being cynical.
1: Well, you know, you'd be happy with the market being closed for a year,
0: would you? <laughs> Absolutely. Not more than happy, mate. I I, but, but I, you, I, I did tweet in, you, I think I did a tweet, go on, go on.
1: I would just say that you know the, the only problem is you couldn't be able to recommend is stocks to
0: buy. <laughs> there is that. I, look, I, I mean, I tweeted partly in jest, of course, because it's never going to happen. But if the market was only open on a Friday or every second Friday, I mean, it's just not a big deal, right? It's like it's. It, it, it's funny how we get used. To, it's we get used to stuff. The status quo is interesting, Matt. There's, a, there's there's a psychological bias around this. Um, the the idea of the status quo of like you know we have of course we have to have the market open in five days a week because that's what we've always done. And it's kind of like yeah, fine, but it's only open six hours a day, right? So if we if we had a market, or just say say in some parallel universe, the ASX was used, was open eight hours a day now, and we said we're going to close it, we're going to make it only six hours a day going forward, the hullabaloo would be. Well, we can't possibly do that. Couldn't possibly work. This is going to be terrible. Look at all the changes. Like, I, how can I how can I trade? How can I run my financial affairs? And anything that changes from the status quo, there's such strong, you know, kind of inertia in whatever we're kind of used to doing. If the ASX was eight hours, we went to six. People would cry foul. In fact, it's already six, no one cares about. If it went from six to four, we'd cry foul again. And it's just one of those things where it happens to be open six hours a day, five days a week. So that's what we're used to. And if it's any less, that'd be terrible for some unknown and you know, made up reasons that people just kind of instinctively feel like if you change my thing, I'm gonna make i am I'm gonna find an excuse. I'm gonna find a reason to say the thing I already have is the thing we need because of X. And any any change to that is, is is kind of the problem, right? I think that's the. It's just a human, natural human trait. I mean, you've you invest in innovation, you invest in exactly that sort of disruption. The, the you know the things that when when the incumbents say, well, we couldn't possibly change because uh, you're exactly investing in this kind of the, the solution to this bias, which is if you don't change with things, things will change anyway.
1: Yeah, change is difficult. You know, like you know, my proposal mm. to ASX would be to uh, close on the weekdays and open 24 hours on Saturday and Sunday.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just a really screw with people.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay, now we're only open on weekends.
0: <laughs> just until just tell the boss mate, we'll start making us work two days a week and paying us accordingly. So maybe maybe we should have the ASX open twenty four seven, then we can ask for an increase in pay. I'm not sure.
1: All right, mate. Um, no, let's. I, let's, I, I like on. that idea. I like <laughs> yeah, that idea.
0: <laughs> except for, as long as you have to work seven days a week. Uh, let's <laughs> let's go to let's make a bit a bit more macro again for a second. I just I don't know if you have a view on this. And this is kind of gets political super fast, but it would just worth. Noting China's letter to uh, officially leaked because that's how China does these things to Australian media outlets, pretty much saying that Australia has made China an enemy, and this is a meaningful escalation. so we've kind of referred to a couple of times over the last uh, couple of months, maybe. You know, it started with was was wine the first one? It might have been, or maybe Australian coal. In any case, coal. Then it was wine. Then it was barley. Maybe there's always oh, wrong. It's cotton was involved. Lobsters. We're involved. Um, There's now, I think, 10 different Australian commodities that are effectively black banned from being bought by China, imported into China from Australia. And then trying to go in the full court press and now pretty much making this a national issue, rather than pretending in the past that it was natural trade. And they kind of done that to try and give us a message. And whatever message they think they were sending seems to have either been not received or ignored by the government. And now China's pretty much come out and said, don't make us an enemy. That that feels kind of, you know, pretty risky for individual companies, for the economy as a whole, quite frankly. We much So much of our economy is is tied to China. Um, is there an investing takeaway? Maybe there is. Do, you know, is China too risky now to invest in? Um, is this just a natural escalation? Is that a short-term problem that we should look through? What are your thoughts on how we think about investing in an age where trade wars, geopolitics, tariffs, the whole box and dice is kind of coming back to rear its ugly head after three or four decades of, of slowly... These trade trade disputes kind of slowly being taken away by people who believed in freer trade. It now seems like be more adversarial, you know, actively fighting more of these things seems to be back in vogue.
1: Yeah, I, I think this is a this is a hard one. I mean, like, I mean, generally speaking, I do believe like fr- freer trade is is good for everyone, right? So, um, I guess the investing lesson here maybe for people is if. If a particular region, and this doesn't have to be China specific, it could be, you know, Mm -hmm. because my company is doing something in Japan or in India or in, you know, uh, South Africa or South America, Mm -hmm. there is a higher risk to any business that has, that it relies on one particular geography um, you know, because because with one particular region, you you are now tying in not just you know you you're really taking a lot much larger geopolitical risk. Mm. If you want to diversify, if you're if you're if you're investing, you want to invest in what I call truly global, right? Mm. Because that has a much larger cushion um, than uh, you know sort of pseudo global or semi global, in which case you're just focusing on one particular market. Right now, focusing on one particular market can uh, for some companies, there's no not much of a choice. So if you're a miner, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, right. your stuff is going to be yeah. brought by bought by a few different places, um, mm. and that's okay because again, if you're a good miner, your uh, <laughs> yeah. your goods are. Yeah. are necessary, right? And, and and the prices are sort of internationally, uh, you know, international exchange-based. So yeah. so I think that's my only investing take would be, you know, there's, you know maybe assign a higher weight of risk to mm. companies that have specific, and this is not just necessarily China-specific comment, right? So you could invest in a company that has business in, say, Latin America. Yeah. Then you are taking in currency risk, you're taking in geopolitical risk, Mm. you're taking in, you know, all the other stuff that comes in, because again, you're taking it, it's basically the same as investing in a company that's just focused in Australia, right? (laughs) So it's exposed, is exposed to all the Australian risks involved, right? And we so and often what happens is we might ignore the risks that are local to us because, Mm -hmm. well, they're local to us, and we might overblow the risks that are, you know, overseas. So again, you need to think about that as well. So you you need to, you need to have your biases on the check so yeah. that's the only thing. I mean, the broader picture, though, is, I mean, if you think about it, um, again, like, I mean, the Chinese middle class is one of the largest, or probably the largest in the world, right? So, I mean, you would expect over over a longish period of time, um, mm-hmm. goods that are consumed by other parts of the world would also be consumed in China, right? And I, I think that, to me, is a good filter to think about, right? So if a good is is if some goods are produced that are consumed by Germans and Canadians and Americans and, mm, mm. you know, Argentinians, they're mm. also likely to be consumed by Chinese people. Yeah, right. right? Okay. Just, just by definition. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah but, but, but but if I would also say that if something is produced that is not consumed by them, by the other parts, but if we have some, you know, lopsided uh, China uh, arrangement That to me seems like, you know, that is almost seems like either that goes away or it's mm-hmm. going to be of a lesser, uh, to a lesser degree successful and things like that. So it's a little bit of a strategy mm-hmm. thing. Uh, some businesses here seem to focus on the Asia angle because, again, Asia is nearby. And that's maybe fair because um, the size of the businesses that are trying that are small. So there's, there's a whole heap of things to think about, I think, for investors. Um yeah, but I, again, I think it mostly comes to a risk-reward um, hmm. issue. You, know, you just have to consider the risks involved, which is not just yeah. with that specific region, but any other specific region.
0: I think that's a really good point, mate. I think and look, I, I have my own policy views, and I won't waste my waste time on them here. I've certainly shared them on Twitter for anyone who wants to follow. If you don't want to follow, avoid that. Um, I think for investors, as you say, it's one of those. I I kind of take you know, I think. It's hard as an investor because we are to some degree at the whim of the companies that we invest in, and so diversification is probably the the, the best solution, the best. Um, and I would say we've said many many times: you do most of your investing in the US, I do some of mine in the US. Um, we both said be be diversified in, in all sorts of ways, and I think that's part of it, right? So, frankly you know, you don't want all your money just in the US, you don't want all your money just in Australia or any country. Uh, but as you rightly point out, you know, whether it's Latin America or somewhere else, having owning companies that are listed in different places, but more importantly, have business operations in different places. So that you do have that natural diversification that if, you know, if Australia, frankly, you know, while well, we talk about China at trade war, a localized recession, either here or there, wherever, wherever we want to talk about, it is, is probably more likely or more, more threatening. So some to some degree, it is that sense of, understanding what your companies do, how they do it, how diversified you are, what risks you're taking. And also, I, I will add, by the way, take some of those risks. I, you know, We, we talk about diversification as a risk-lowering agent. That is important. But equally, we're not saying there are no risks or you can find a company without risks. We're saying understand what risk you're taking. Diversify those risks. If you don't take risks, you're not going to make any money. So you need to take some modicum of, of decent risk, but understand who your companies are, where they where they do their business, how they're run. Um, also, I, the other thing I would say, mate, is just... You know, as a business, it would have been it would have been um, irresponsible of any company in Australia not to take advantage of the boom in China, right? You, you, to, to to have said in 1994, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know try and sell my stuff in China because if China gets too big, then my business might falter in 2020. There was a lot of money made during the boom that you would not have wanted to say, hey, let's not do that. But at a business level, wait, maybe one of the ways for us as investors to think about this is how are our businesses set up? Now, I will I will absolutely. A tag Blackmores here. It's a company I own for the record and one we've recommended. Um, I both bought it and recommended it after the share price fall. But these you know, Blackmores went through the roof in, was it 2016, 17, mate? Something like that, maybe 2018. When their suitcase trade, the Daigu trade to China, went through the roof. This happens to be out China, but it doesn't necessarily need to be. It could have been anywhere else. The reality was investors got excited that this thing would be a permanent change. And frankly, the company got excited and spent a fortune kind of resourcing up to a level of demand. And... That demand was always shaky, and it's easy if I say in hindsight, but I think it would have been fair to say at the time, "gee, this might go away at some point." And if it does, how well placed are we? And Blackmore's had, you know, has gone through a couple of years of pain trying to right-size themselves once that kind of, you know, one-off demand kind of spike went away. And I think that's a, a worthwhile thing for investors to think about: is if your company's growing fast, great, and the company should absolutely try and take that revenue. Of course, they should. Blackmore should always have tried to maximize that Daigu trade, um, but it was not in a place where it said to itself, if this goes away, are we positioned to manage that? And maybe as an investor, if you have a, a fast growing company, we talked about, and maybe you should talk about this a bit more, mate, but things like customer and supplier concentration. Super, super important is one of the risk factors, right? How, how exposed am I to a particular supplier or a particular customer or set of customers? You guys talk about this a lot at EO when you go through, you know, sort of, you know, how many customers are there? What's the spread of customers? How important is one customer to your business? Maybe it's partly that as well as an investor, thinking about not only where do your businesses do business, but also even even outside geographical mixes, just simply how immune is it or exposed uh, um, exposes it to the risk that one or two customers change their minds to do something else.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree. I, I think those are great points actually. Yeah, especially I, I like the point about customer concentration and supplier concentration. I think that's really, really, I mean where that information is useful, I think available, I think it should be looked upon and thought about mm. and, and diversification. Yeah, I have nothing to add to that.
0: Beautiful, mate. Uh, so speaking of which, though, because you guys do use it at EO, it would be a great time for me to mention your service, Multiple Full Extreme Opportunities, and to give our listeners a chance to join you and Kevin at that wonderful market-beating investment service where you're looking for the big winners of tomorrow and, more importantly, the big winners of five and ten years out that have really, really good long-term Potential for big, big, big gains. Now, that comes with a bit of extra risk, as we said, um, but you know it's a risk that you guys manage well. And again, while there's no guarantees about the future, certainly the past has been impressive and the investment approach you guys bring to the table, I think is one that our listeners really, really should look into, at least consider for themselves. They can find out a bit more at fool.com.au forward slash EO podcast, uh, special podcast link for our listeners. Go and join Doc for, well, what are we saying these days? Is it it's inexpensive but not cheap or something or... What's what's the, what's the official be- tagline from our listeners? I can't remember now.
1: It's it's beautiful. It's wonderful. Come, go have a look.
0: There you go. That's good enough. fool.com.au forward slash eo podcast, mates. Um, I was going to talk about a couple of other things quickly. Um, would you like to would you rather talk about Crown or Apple? I imagine you'd rather talk about Apple. Would you?
1: Oh, which one is more interesting? You think about that. <laughs> <laughs> let's let's do Crown very quickly. I'll
0: I'll I'll, I'll summarize and I'll do the newsreader thing, and then we can talk about Apple. So Crown during the week, it's a recommendation of ours. at share on hold currently. Um, Crown was told by the New South Wales gaming regulator that it may not open its new Barangaroo six-star hotel and casino, uh, basically because the regulator itself is undergoing a review to see whether Crown's actually a fit and proper business to own a casino license. Um, that's going to be bad news for the stock. It's pro- probably justifiably too, right? If someone says, yeah, I'm not sure if you guys can actually do the business that you want to do, um, that that speaking of diversification, that can really hurt a company. And so that's ongoing. There's certainly been in the news relatively regularly recently um, it's it, it, this is, a, to my mind, some one of those things where the way you would do business, um, you can get away with for a while, but if you are going too close to the wind, those things can catch up with you. And maybe you get lucky and get out at the right time, uh, but if you're not careful, that can that can come to, come to bite you if you're not careful. And it seems, at least for now, Crown are going to have to make some really big changes. They've already said they're now cancelling all junket operations, except those junket operators that are licensed and supervised by the Chinese government, so they've had to take the, the pain on that one. Now, the New South Wales operator saying you can't open your casino. They've got a lot of uh, a lot of work to do. Doctor, do you want to talk about that or shall I move straight on Apple?
1: Well, I have nothing to add. I mean, <laughs> I think the regulatory risk is very high, is all I'm going to say, especially if the regulator is saying you may not operate. I know. That's a big problem. That's a huge problem, right? And I've got to say, too, so. like if,
0: if the regulator decides that Crown's not a fit and proper business to own a casino in New South Wales, you've got to figure the Victorian regulator is thinking, so hang on, if they've found some stuff we haven't found or they have a different view, it's one of these, it's not, there's no direct correlation, but uh, you know, again, maybe this is the year of contagion. But if you think about the risk of contagion of the Victorian regulator saying, "Well, hang on, we can't say you guys are okay if those guys have said you're not," um, there is there is something of uh, potential dominoes about this one as well.
1: I think so. I, I mean, maybe they're just setting up to get a uh, get a fine and then move on and improve their product, which is probably the most you know likely outcome. But yeah, it's not yeah. not a comfortable yeah. place to be. All right, mate. Let's speak of
0: comfortable places. One that you're much more comfortable with. S- settle back. You're, you're talking on your Mac and your iPad and your iPhone, and you got your AirPods in, and it's just it's it's eye everything over it over at the hearty household, um, mate. Uh, there is some big news in in Apple's world, and I, I this is one one we've talked about before, one we haven't talked about before. So the easy one first. Apple, like you saying overnight, has cut its App Store fees from thirty percent to fifteen percent of revenue for businesses that do less than a million dollars worth of turnover with Apple. Am I giving that roughly right? That's correct. And I think, look, I I've said before. I think you had even said before on the podcast, and we both said, it, the simplest thing for Apple to do to avoid some of the grief that's been that they're wearing is simply say, well, we will make, we will just simply appear, seem less, um, uh, less kind of you know, um, overbearing and, and less kind of you know, monopolistic by simply saying, okay, we'll take this money. It won't cost them much. It'll keep everyone on the side. Keeps the regulators away. Keeps the suppliers, i.e., their their developer app developers, still doing their thing. Um, it feels like a, it feels like a very simple. I mean, no one likes making less money, but this feels like the easiest decision in the world, is not
1: it? Yeah, like I would have gone as far as to say, you know, like under one million, you pay only five percent. Like right, really. Right. There is, like, you know, in many ways, it's an in Apple's interest to actually grow the, the, mm-hmm. the, smaller ecosystem, right? It's, it's great for developers. It's great for new businesses. Yeah. And just taxing the bigger, bigger, nobody's going to complain about the fact that the bigger businesses are going to be taxed more. This is, mm-hmm. you know, so I That's would have right. gone. <laughs>
0: exactly.
1: Yeah, you know, uh, I would have just, you know, gone with five percent, maybe some gradient, 5%, five, ten. 15 mm. and absolutely tax 30% from you know those those people those companies that are turning over a billion dollars plus like i mean you via the apple platform absolutely they should, you know i mean that's basically sales and marketing hosting mm. costs and all those things i mean you know may, maybe they can come to uh, some other arrangement but yeah I, I, yeah i, I think it's a step in the right direction maybe still a mm. bit too high a bit higher than maybe what it, what might be good for i think you know a million dollar uh, turnover but yeah probably a step in the right direction
0: nice. I mean, the bigger deal, I think, certainly from your perspective, I'm sure you're right. I, I don't have a lo- a big view on it because I'm, I'm not a deep techie like you are. Um, Apple has unveiled its brand new computer processing chip, one done completely in-house. I'm sure it's outsourced, manufactured, but designed and kind of made to its own specifications in-house called the M1 chip. Now, this is, I think I'm right in saying an extension to some stuff they've already been doing, private chips and other devices. Is that right? Or is this the first... But yeah, okay. Docs nodding for those who uh, can't see it. Um, but this is a meaningful change. It, it it really locks out the external chip makers potentially. If Apple rolls us out across the entire ecosystem, and it has the potential to do so and exclude people like Intel and AMD from the process. Um, d- more deeply integrating its hardware and software and its kind of range of ecosystem of devices. That's probably a really poor example. I'm, I'm repeating what you've told me, I think, or I've I've taken from what you said. What have I got right? What have I got wrong? And why does it matter?
1: Yeah, so like, so Apple makes its own chips for the phones, right? And makes its own chips. Now, I think the key difference is, um, if you think about chips, the company like Intel, for example, makes the central processing unit or the the the, basically the processor, right? Then you you every computer typically has like a motherboard or like a big big. Printed circuit board on which you mm, stick mm. the CPU, you stick the memory, you stick the uh, signal processor, you stick the image processor, you stick other things, right? Cool. Now, what Apple basically does on the phone is it, it builds essentially all of those things into one chip, right? Oh, everything right. is okay, on one. That. Yeah, okay, so cool, it, cool. It, okay. it's, it's, it's one unit, which is right. basically called s- system on chip. So that's the description. It's called a system on chip, which has everything. Now, okay. that has Technical advantages in terms of mm-hmm. just not just in terms of speed, but in terms of um, uh, in terms of um, energy consumption, in terms of tricks and things that uh, the computer can do, right? So, That's for good. example, um, for example, the the quality of say the camera using the same hardware is significantly better on the iPad and iPhone than on the Mac, and the reason is that there is image processing happening on the Mac, on, on the iPad and the iPhone, which mm. does not actually happen or can't be done on that power budget or those, your CPU budget that you've got on, oh, on okay. the Mac. So right? it could so, be
0: done. It could literally be technically achieved, but it can't be done as efficiently as it could be if it was a single chip. Is that yes? Yeah. Yeah, so, uh, yeah,
1: okay. yeah. Everything and Everything and anything can be done, but it is, okay. there was always a power... Uh, power versus um, performance versus you right. know there's a cost curve, right? So so this basically does allow Apple A to homogenize everything across its platform, right? So basically all the chips, all the in, in all the elements are there. It allows Apple to have significantly better power profile and a, a power consumption profile, mm-hmm. and significantly better uh, performance to power profile. So in in other words, it, it, the the way to think about this is there are no there are no chips today in smartphones that even come close to the Apple's latest iPhone, right? So in fact, right. there was nothing that will come close to last year's iPhone.
0: And let me let me just wait for a second, just to explain. So when we say don't come close, just for non techies like me, in what ways don't they come close? What what is different about the the current chip?
1: Okay, so if you just think about the speed, mm-hmm. like if you think of processing capability, how responsive it is, what okay. it can do on device versus right. the other. Other chips right. uh, that are on other smartphones you just can't do that today like so and again, for example, because
0: they've chosen not to do it because they can't do it power efficiently
1: well they can't I think on the phone they definitely can't because you know you you know like I mean you can't throw in a cooler like you can't throw in a yeah, fan right okay. right, right yeah. so most 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 desktops would have or most right, laptops would have a fan right yep. uh, you can't have a fan on that device <laughs> what this means <laughs> yeah. you don't have a fan on the iPad for example right so if yeah. you bring the iPad chip onto your Mac, now, the latest MacBook Air does not actually have a fan. Oh, that's cool. That's it cool. Right? And now, from a consumer's point of view, from mm-hmm. a, just from a consumer's point of view, here are the benefits, right? The latest Mac that have been announced has 18 to 20 hours of battery performance. That's 18 cool. 18 to 20 hours cool. of battery performance. And that's for watching videos. Like, you can yeah, watch 18 f- hours of video, and it's not, <laughs> nothing's going to happen. Yeah. But… For, now, from a professional's point of view, somebody who's like coding—that's ten yeah. to twelve hours of coding without you know—you could basically be coding anywhere mm. now, and it'll be—it's—it's—it's it's, it's significantly faster and doesn't consume power. So that's one one advantage, right? And the price is actually a hundred dollars less than last year. Nice. So this is going to squeeze the you know the Windows market further. Mm. That's number one. Mm. Number two, I think is I think the other bigger thing is because the code base is now the same and um, the the platform on which the code base runs is the same it actually allows uh, apple to get all the iphone and ipad apps to actually work on the mac so it's nice. okay right
0: so brings so closer together
1: yeah so this basically makes um, the three things it blurs the lines between those three things <laughs> right and 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 from a developer's point of view this is like you know uh you know, like christmas because you can you get faster cheaper and better in many ways, right? But I think if I have to project further, I think the reason for doing this is not just those reasons. Yes, there's market share reasons. So this is going to basically steal market share for Windows. That's almost guaranteed because now if I can buy a Mac at like $800 US versus oh, you know buying a Windows. So. I mean, you're going to buy a Mac, yeah. right? Unless you're yeah. fanatical about having Windows. Uh, yeah. That's number one. But number two, I think the bigger reason is that this is basically setting the stone, uh, setting the stage for other types of devices that you would have, that you'd work with all of these things together. So uh, yeah, like it, uh, I think this is again, from a technical perspective, uh, it re- represents a big shift in how uh, desktops are built. I think mm-hmm. it has a huge impact on the for the developer community and what types of the dev, how the developer community is actually going to develop things. Um, it's going to make development of applications across devices and platforms much easier, um, and yeah, it's, it's it's a market share uh, play at the same time. So it's it's a very smart and it's it's you know it's ten fifteen years of work mm-hmm. that is mm-hmm. seeing culmination right. So you know the, Apple's been building the chip since what iPhone three or four iPhone four or five I think iPhone five and right. So, you know, it's, yeah, and clearly what they're basically saying is we've got the best chip engineers, best best chip engineers uh, on the planet, we can basically do stuff that others can't. And this is just basically sets them further and further, so their lead just got widened by like a mile, right? And there are other things you could do. You could take the same architecture and deploy it in, in the cloud to create cloud servers. Uh, I don't think Apple is going to get into that, but, you know, the architecture is designed in such a way that this is probably the architecture you want to employ in mm-hmm. uh, in in the cloud where you want to actually reduce cooling and you want to be more efficient, right, uh, yet have high performance. So if you're doing, you know, edge computing or cloud computing, this is the type of architecture. So there might be some other longer term plays here, uh, but in, in the short term, this is a market, sh- market share and mm-hmm. ecosystem play
0: very cool mate thank you for the summary that's um, some really cool tech speaking of which let's finish with a question from our mailbag because it was a question from Miguel during the week it's a very simple one but it's very important one And one I think you may have a view on you may not Miguel says great podcast has thank you Miguel has the market overreacted on the tech sell off I don't see how a vaccine materially changes a lot of these companies now Doc, you and I talked about this a little bit last week, but you talked about the, the way the market responds, and there was some really huge falls. Zoom fell 18% in a in a single day um, on the back of the vaccine news when it was first out. The sense that whatever positivity was built into share prices, um, whatever whatever expectations were built into share prices suddenly has gone away. Now, I I think there's a couple of thoughts here. I'll get your thoughts. My I think we, you know, there's there's a couple of things. First is I wonder whether there are some investors who own tech because I felt like it was the only place they could be, and so those people went. I oh, think I don't have to own Zoom anymore. I can own less. Or I can own less Zoom or whatever. I would know, pick your company, whatever company it is, um, simply because the business itself. Yeah, you know, I, I bought it because I felt like I had to, um, and and so now I don't have to as much because there's other, uh, you know, there's other things related to that. I wonder whether there's some sense of people who sold travel or retail or entertainment or whatever stocks and went, well, I can't own those, I've got to put money somewhere, I guess I'll buy Zoom. So it's kind of the same thing, but in one case it's it's now safe to go back in the water on some of those other stocks and so the money's got to come from somewhere. Um, there is a sense that the most bizarre thing, I think, is people who somehow think that Zoom was going to be the only option for the next five years and suddenly now that they've actually and they didn't expect to see coming. I think that was always, if, if you held that view, always naive, but but possible and, and, and reasonable. Um, or is it simply a case of just... You know the 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 removal of fear, the the sense that you know uh, the the market is no longer the uh you know the old Tina Tina aquarium. There is no alternative, which is kind of a bit bit of the same as what I said before. But the sense of like you you had to be in tech, you had to be in tech, you had to be in tech, and once the share started falling, it was a momentum trade, and just got out. Is it any of those? Is it all of those? Is it something completely different? Um, more importantly, I suppose the question is, you know, ha- has the vaccine materially changed those businesses?
1: Yeah, so it's, it's possibly a combination of those and many other factors, right? I mean, or well, people who manage money, right? So they have, and if especially if you have short-term targets in terms of you know mm. delivering returns, <laughs> if if you if your target is to deliver fifteen percent return this year, somehow mm. um, you are always on the lookout, right? So this you, know, right. so you know the question you asked me about a bank, right? Somebody, mm. you know, I can understand why somebody would buy the bank because, well, they're interested in that 20 percent trade for this year. Mm. right they're going to buy it and then sell it later right and it's a style of investing and a lot of people do that um so all of those people or some of those people have moved on as you said to these other things because they had no alternative and now they think that well you can i can do this so they're now moving back into this and selling that um mm. all of that is just in my view this is all normal volatility right i think if somebody i think you directly pointed out if somebody thought zoom is going to be the only or you know, i'm using zoom as an example or microsoft yeah, teams yeah, or whatever yeah, else yeah, exists yeah. if you thought that is the only ever alternative for conducting business then i think you are just <laughs> right. kidding yourself at the same time if you now think that just because a vaccine is out mm-hmm. that you know offices in the downtowns and you know city centers and everything else are going to all of a sudden fill up and life is going to be back to five days a week in the office that too you're kidding yourself mm-hmm. right uh, so I don't know. Like, I mean, you, know, you have to consider the current value and then think about what the future value is and things like that. So if, if if those if that maths was correct and mm-hmm. if that math still holds, I see no reason why somebody would sell you know, Zoom or Microsoft Teams or whatever else for something else. And I would say the same thing for, I don't know, Booking.com. If you had Booking.com last year mm-hmm. and then COVID happened, I mean… Mm-hmm. Did you really need to sell it? I mean, you probably didn't need to sell it if you thought that booking.com is going to give you your 12% annualized return that you're expecting of it for the next decade, right? So, I don't know. Like I mean, there is there is probably an opportunity, a mercenary opportunity as you say, but it's for those people who those people I think who can time in and out, remembering that everybody else is also trying to time in and out. So, I mean, <laughs> First, you have to time it and then you have to get in before yeah. <laughs> other people get in before the price moves up oh. and then get out before the price goes down or whatever it is, yeah. right? So I don't know. Um, that's my take on it. So um, right. yeah.
0: I'm going to add my two, my two cents to some of that. Just just in, in again in human behavior um, and sports. It's kind of the status quo effect that I mentioned before. I think there's some sense, and I don't. I don't have a strong view on this one. I don't follow enough of the tech stocks enough to really have a view on the overall sector. But Miguel, what I would say is that we we look at h- humans are funny, right? We say the shares have fallen twenty percent. Is that too much? And it kind of it's the right question because. But the, the, the better question might actually be, and and I know it's inferred in the question, but is today's price attractive? Now the reason I ask that is let's say Zoom is four hundred dollars a share currently. Let's say that's what it is. If it had gone up from three hundred to four hundred over the last week, or down from five hundred to four hundred, it's still four hundred bucks. And we might look at the three hundred bucks up to four hundred and say, "Wow, is it really worth up going up by a third? And if it falls by, you know, twenty percent from fifty from five hundred to four hundred, said, "Oh man, is it really that bad?" Is you know, fallen by twenty percent? Um, the question is probably like it's it's, a, it's an interesting starting point, but the better question to ask is, "Is four hundred dollars an attractive price to buy the stock?" Because if Zoom was in in an alternative universe, three hundred bucks now up to four hundred, we'd be saying, "Man, Zoom's up thirty percent. Is the market overreacted?" And I think that you know, it it, it implies that the first price is right. And so we're asking ourselves, is the the change valid? I think it might be, respectfully, the wrong question. The the right question might just be, you know, rather than worrying about what the previous price was, whether it's up or down or backwards or sideways, really the only question is, is today's price attractive? And I think that's uh, uh, something I'd leave uh, our listeners with as we finish off this podcast, Doc, is just to remember that, you know, that, that kind of thinking implies, well, the market was right before. Is it now wrong? And I think it's always worth asking, um, you know, ignoring the fact, you know, what, what the previous price was. It's like readers who look at the price, say, oh, it's up by X, therefore, does that mean why? You know, people say, oh, it's up 20%. Is it too late? Or it's up 20%. Now the market loves it. Same question, same sales. say so different question, same stock movement, maybe different outcomes. The only question that really should matter is, is the current price attractive relative to the future? Whether or not the shares have fallen or, or risen should be of absolute zero consequence. The only question is, am I going to make money from today?
1: Any other thoughts on that, mate? No, I have nothing to add, sir.
0: Beautiful. That's it, mate. Just before we do, though, if you want to follow Doc on Twitter, you mentioned his tweet. What what did you tweet about this morning you mentioned? I can't remember now. The tulips.
1: There
0: you (laughs) go, the tulip mania. So check out Doc's (laughs) tulip mania tweet at Anirban Mahanti, A-N-I-R-B-A-N-M-A-H-A-N-T-I, Anirban Mahanti on Twitter. I'm TMF Scott P. It's Scott with two T's. T-M-F-S-C-O-T-T-P. Or at the Motley Fool AU. I won't spell that one. You can work that one out for yourself. Um, that's our that's our Twitter accounts on Instagram. My account and The Motley Fool's account are the same. Doc, I will check just to make sure you haven't joined Instagram in the last week. Have you not told me?
1: No, no. Okay. So, at
0: TMF Scott P or at The Motley Fool AU. And if you're on Facebook, The Motley Fool Australia or Scott Phillips Money. And lastly, if you do want to send us an email, feel free to do that. Please do that. Info at fool.com.au and our wonderful member services fools will make sure that we see those emails. All right. And before you go, do one more thing for us. Please subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes, your favorite Android podcast app or Podcast One. You might see some new artwork, by the way, on our our little podcast logo. That's our new logo. So if you've seen that, I hope you like it. And if you like what we're doing, please give us a rating. Not about the logo, though. Feel free. Uh, Tell us how great we are, how how smart, funny, good-looking. What else, mate? Is that about it? Humble? We are. Uh, Please let us know. Give us a rating. Please leave us some stars. If you wouldn't mind, it helps other people find the podcast and, frankly, makes us feel good, too. And, you know, we're nice people. All right. Don't forget, you can also get a dose of Foolishness straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash... Triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. Were you be back on Sunday, mate? Do you reckon? For a mailbag?
1: I think there's a very good chance we will. <laughs> Let's find out whether we'll be back on
0: Sunday with another dose of foolish insight. But for now, full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned general advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.